good evening and welcome to good afternoon excuse me and welcome to deep in scripture this is your host marcus grodi i was jumping ahead to the, the rebroadcast there for a second sorry about that thank you for joining us on this program each week i i uh, get to invite a guest to talk to us about uh, favorite portions of scripture and uh, on this program particularly we're looking at verses that uh, helped us grow in our relationship with christ and his church and our guest today is Dr. Brennan Purcell. Uh, Brennan joined me on the Journey Home program not long ago, and it was wonderful to have him as a part of that program, and now to invite him back uh, to join me here. It's the time of year to have him because it's the summer. He teaches at uh, DeSales University, and so summer is sometimes a little more relaxing, though not necessarily. Uh, Brennan Purcell, he received his Ph.D. in history from Harvard University, he is um, undergraduate at Stanford, where he, he obtained his A.B. in history. And uh, during college, he spent several months in India and a year in England at Oxford University. After graduation, he devoted two years to work and travel in various parts of the world until he went to Harvard for graduate training in European history, where he received his M.A. and his Ph.D. And he's had articles in a variety of scholarly and book reviews, He's appeared on the Journey Home program, as I mentioned. He has a book called The Winter King, Frederick V of the Palatinate, and The Coming of the Thirty Years' War. Uh, he's also working on a couple of books now, but the one maybe most uh, familiar and uh, important for you, the listening audience, is he published Benedict of Bavaria, An Intimate Portrait of the Pope and His Homeland, uh, a book which... I uh, would uh, strongly encourage you to consider. Uh, as I mentioned, he's been on CNN and EWTN and a number of other radio networks and programs. He's working on a book, a novel, called The Spanish Match and is currently working on a broad narrative of Western civilization, the Christian West. So our guest today is a historian, not a biblical scholar or a theologian, but he comes as a historian, which fascinates me because I absolutely love history. In fact, he leads, he teaches in courses in ancient, medieval, early, modern, and modern European history. He leads annual travel studies courses to Germany and Austria for his DeSales students, and he lives with his wife, a Bavarian pianist, and two children in Allentown, Pennsylvania. So it's great to have Brennan join us back on EWTN. Before I read the scripture, I want to remind you that this program is connected to deepinscripture.com. If you go to that website, you can watch the program live, you can listen to the program, you can also find all the archived past Deep in Scripture programs. Now, Brennan chose for today's scripture, actually a verse that wasn't in my Bible back in the days when I was a Protestant, when I had a, a truncated canon of scripture. He chose a verse from the book of Wisdom, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It's a fascinating verse, and particularly when you think of this verse and the, and the um, almost the way it describes the way people have lived in history, how people have continued to understand values and goals and their relationship to God or no God, how they understand life an eternal life or no eternal life. This is an interesting description of how the writer of the book of wisdom is saying how ungodly men think and how they reason. And so let me read this. This is book of wisdom, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. For they reasoned unsoundly, saying to themselves, Short and sorrowful is our life, and there is no remedy when a man comes to his end, and no one has been known to return from Hades. Because we were born by mere chance, and hereafter we shall be as though we had never been, because the breath in our nostrils is smoke, and reason is a spark kindled by the beating of our hearts. When it is extinguished, the body will turn to ashes, and the spirit will dissolve like empty air." Our name will be forgotten in time, and no one will remember our works. Our life will pass away like the traces of a cloud, and be scattered like mist that is chased by the rays of the sun and overcome by its heat. For our allotted time is the passing of a shadow, and there is no return from our death, because it is sealed up 
and no one turns back. Come, therefore, let us enjoy the good things that exist and make use of the creation to the full as in youth. Let us take our fill of costly wine and perfumes and let no flower of spring pass by us. Let us crown ourselves with rosebuds before they wither. Let none of us fail to share in our revelry. Everywhere let us leave signs of enjoyment because this is our portion. This is our lot. Let us oppress the righteous poor man. Let us not spare the widow nor regard the gray hairs of the aged. But let our might be our law of right. For what is weak proves itself to be useless. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Grodi's book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Grodi's book, Journey's Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll-free at one 800 Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Dr. Brennan Purcell. Hello, Brennan. Hi, Marcus. How are you doing? Well, thank you. I'm doing fine. Thank you for joining us in your busy schedule. I know you're, you're getting ready again pretty soon. Classes will start up again. Is that right? Uh, Mid-August, but you're right. The summer is filled with writing and other things, and yeah, it's. But it, it's always a pleasure to be on your show. Well, always second time. Yeah, and you mentioned before the program that you're right in the middle of two books. Yes, is that the Spanish match in the Christian West? It's the Spanish match, and actually, I think the new title the editor prefers is God in History. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. And yeah. uh, it's a Christian narrative of the West. It's it's a story of the West, but but it's about God in history and using the West as a kind of case study. So oh, that's why I picked this passage. Oh, fa- yeah. The the passage we chose for today. Before we get into it, the one other question: the Spanish match. Uh, yes. I love historical novels. Uh-huh. Um, wh- when does that take place? It takes place in 1623. Right. which is right during the beginning of um, the Thirty Years' War. Um, Queen Elizabeth in England is dead. King James I, he's the king at that time. And yeah, that's when it takes place. And it takes place in England and France, but mainly in Spain at the royal court, the royal Habsburg court there in Spain. It's a romance with a murder mystery thrown in. It's a court drama. <laughs> with historical figures plus fictional uh Historical supporting. figures and most of the, you know, I, I wrote uh, scholarly articles about these events and thought, God, <laughs> story. And uh, so I, what I've done is I've added a lot of fictive elements and I've upped the romance and thrown in the murder mystery. Some of the lines of the characters come right out of the documents. Oh, that's great. Um, so I'm trying to make it as realistic as possible. But also it's, it's a historical novel. It must grip the reader. It must give the reader an emotional um, uh, sense, sensatory, I'm sorry, sensatory, um, um, uh, sensual experience, you know, um, talking about smells and sights and sounds. It's totally different than writing um, normal history, totally different, very challenging. And I have a wonderful editor helping me out with the Sophia Institute Press. Yes, um, of course. Yeah, she's fantastic. Oh, excellent. Well, I look forward to that and I encourage the audience looks forward to that. I'm, it's just so good to see in the last number of years a number of good Catholic novels that have been 
coming out, and uh, it's just great. I think, like you said, it's one thing, the nonfiction um, books that feed our mind, that are mm-hmm. often very didactic, but novels tend to also touch the heart, move the heart. Uh, and, right. Uh, there's, there's such thing as truth in fiction. There certainly is. Truth comes through stories. That, that's the way that is, and, mm-hmm. and uh, people are moved by people. And, yep. and yeah, it's wonderful that Sophia Institute Press has a whole new line. It's called the Imago um, of, of Catholic fiction, written by authors living now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's you're right. There, there's a there's a need for it. Well, that's you know exactly why I wrote my own. In my Alfred exactly. Foundation was uh, that I wanted to reach my father, who only read right. fiction. So uh, I mean, that's right. why why I did that. So, but anyways, uh, this passage, wisdom. Yes. Yes. Uh, this connects with both your studies and your writing. Why? Yeah, talk up to the audience about why this passage uh, for today's discussion. This, this passage just, when I read this, I nearly fell off my seat. Um, it's, it's the basis of this big no to the answer uh, to, to the question, is there a God? Mm-hmm. It's, and it explains, you know, the, the opening line is, for they reasoned unsoundly, yeah. saying to themselves, and then, then we get all the list of what they say. So it's, it's talking about, it's getting inside the people who reason unsoundly and, and explain God away to themselves. They give themselves the reasons for not having faith, that's the first portion, and then the second portion is the outcome in behavior when you deny God's existence. That's an interesting breakdown uh, and fascinating because if you look at, let's say, the New Testament epistles that Paul, John, or James, especially the epistles of Paul, usually they break down the same way. The first couple of chapters is more theological, uh, like in Ephesians, the first three chapters are essentially what it means to be baptized and what difference it makes in your life. Mm -hmm. And then the last three are, okay, given that, now how do we live? Mm-hmm. And that's what you're saying is happening in this passage. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. The, the, the foundation why not to believe in God or, or to understand our life as it is, and then beginning in verse 6, essentially, is, okay, this is how we are to live our life. Now, yeah. again, before we jump into this, yes. um, I think connected also with history, because you are a historian and you teach courses in European history, this whole long period of, of uh-huh. history through the Middle Ages all the way up. I mean, you see the thread of those that, in essence, wouldn't see anything wrong what's said in this passage. Exactly, you know, and there is this sense that comes through. A lot of my students of, of history have this sense that, that earlier people had faith, and that now they don't anymore. Um, you know, the coming of the modern world, we reason better, we're smarter, we have more technology, and so... We- um, and back then, they were more primitive, and people were basically less sophisticated. They, have, they had few, less technology, so they needed God, so they made him up. But here, the, the author, the writer of wisdom here, is clearly faced with, with, um, with different voices, with, with different messages, with people arguing, um, people saying there is no God, that life has no purpose, and then, and then you know, there's all that detail. And so it's the same question that's posed to humanity through all time, and it's the same temptation to say, no, there is no God, there's only what I see, only what I touch, only what I smell, there's just the senses, that's it, and when I die, the, the body, soul, it all, it all dies together, the story is over, nothing means anything. And we live in such an age that is so sense-driven yes. that we have, in essence, new diseases that are arising primarily as a result of sensual, um, like the nerves, yes. um, that some doctors can't even figure out the actual cause of some of these diseases, and one of which is fibromyalgia, for example. Yes. That they can't yes. really pinpoint what's caused, but no. it's primarily a sensual problem. Yeah. yeah, it is. And I think when you see that we're so focused on the senses, as yes. opposed to the way the writer of wisdom would have said is that we are to nurture the soul yes. and detach ourselves from the senses, in essence, not to be driven by the senses. 
We're, we're in the complete opposite today. We're driven by the senses and yeah. looking for you know ways and drugs and whatever to control those senses yeah. rather than deal with the, the real problem. Yeah. And at the same time, we should also remember the senses. Nothing the matter with the senses. The senses are there. Sure. But if we if we close ourselves down, if we throw up walls around the senses, senses say there's nothing outside my body except what I can sense. We're shutting down the universe, and we're trying to shut out God. And then in doing so, we just close up ourselves in a box. Well, right. In other words, the the teeter totter goes in the two extremes. One's the Gnostic perspective, you know, that only yes. the spirit's good and the body's bad. In the other go. perspective, you know, only the body's good and the spirit doesn't exist. I mean, that's the kind of right. what this is. But uh, as as beings, which are both body and spirit as one, right. you know, there's a, there, that that interesting uh, place that God has has given us this unique ability. Not we're not just brains with a no. body. We are no. entirely spiritual beings. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was th- before we jump into this passage, I want to back up yes. a verse. Because I think the verse before it is interesting for our audience. Because, let me read it, verse 16 of chapter 1. But ungodly men by their words and deeds summoned death. Considering him, death, a friend, they pined away. And they made a covenant with him. Because they are fit to belong to his party. Yeah, culture of death. Heard that before? I mean, you know, it's not like John Paul the Great has been creative. I mean, he, he phrased it very well. There it is for you, right? The culture yeah. of death. It's around. It's a temptation. That's exactly what it is. And so then the author goes on in verse 1 to, to re-give their reasoning. And as you said, this is fascinating because to a certain extent, Brennan, when I see people make the choices they make, mm-hmm. I'm not sure I understand where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. You know how they get there, mm-hmm. and and in a way, this not only gives the reasoning, but you can see a process of the covenant. Mm-hmm. It says in verse sixteen that they made a covenant with him, with death, with death, and in huh? that covenant, then they begin to reason and changes mm-hmm. their conscience. Yep. That's uh, right. All right. Let's uh, begin with verse one, if you would. Um, and let me read it, and then go ahead and talk about this in verse 1. For they reasoned unsoundly, saying to themselves, quote, Short and sorrowful is our life, and there is no remedy when a man comes to his end, and no one has been known to return from Hades. What's the lie of that? Uh, you know, I just, I just love this passage because all these memories come back to me of what of through my study short and sorrowful is life there's no remedy when a man comes to his end uh, that's john paul sartre in the 20th century that 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 uh, this is um existentialism that uh, man's condition is to be forlorn and to to despair and he he argued the greatest act of freedom is to kill yourself which of course is completely twisted i remember hearing um um at harvard a lecture by a famous professor who said i don't know whether there's life after death what do you say he said to me that is a high price to pay for empirical evidence you cannot share can you believe it and so that's the line because no one has been known to return from hades and of course this this prefigures how Christ breaks through that, right? Um, uh, you know, it's, I, I just love it because this it comes back. It comes back again and again, this attitude that, that life is short and, and death is hard and life is hard. There's pain. Um, to, be, to be a human being, you, you must have pain. There, there is suffering. It's unavoidable. And when you go to death, you don't come back. That, that, fine. But they reason from that, and that's their explanation for things that we'll get to. Yeah, and I- Maybe it's because my entire life I've believed in God. There was a long period of my teenage years and into college mm-hmm. when I was drifting and drifted quite a ways. But I don't ever uh-huh. believe that I honestly bought into the idea that um, that there's, there was no beginning, you know, there's no end. Verse mm-hmm. 2, merely, I can't imagine it. And I'm wondering well, I can tell you what it was like. I mean, I spent years as kind of a hardcore nihilist. Oh, yeah, there's nothing. It's just, hey, whatever you want in the minute. And it's, it's, it's cold. Uh, the, the universe is a cold place, and it leads you to treat people in different ways. It's, it's just, it's not, a, it's not a good way to exist. It's just not, it's not loving. It would seem to me, as this passage is, that 
if you lived in that, mm-hmm. then really, yep. as an existential say, it's only the moment. What sure. happened yesterday is gone. Mm-hmm. What might happen tomorrow we have no control over, and it has no mm-hmm. ultimate meaning. So no. I have this moment. And not even the moment has meaning. So whatever you do, there's no just such thing as good or bad. Mm-hmm. Just good or, it's just but good for you, or whatever yeah. you want to make it good? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if I, you even I, want to believe in good. Right. I mean, there you go, the despair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is interesting, because as soon as you take good out of the equation, the, the end result is despair as opposed to feeling joy. Although, I suppose, exactly. I suppose some just decide not to think about it. Right. I, I, I don't and, understand. And you mentioned joy, and joy comes back in the passage about, okay, therefore, mm-hmm. let's have fun. That comes later. <laughs> All right. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll progress through the passage, because uh, whether our audience listening can imagine it themselves, well, they might. They may know others that they'd love to reach who are caught up in this. So let's come back in a moment. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host, joined today by Dr. Brennan Purcell. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Next time on EWTN Live. After being knocked from his horse by a lightning bolt, St. Norbert began a journey that would lead to the founding of a religious order. Tune in when Father Mitch talks with Abbot Eugene Hayes and Father James Smith about the Norbertine Fathers. That's on the next EWTN Live. EWTN Live with Father Mitch Pacwa is seen and heard around the world. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. Written by Carl Adam, Roots of the Reformation gives a historically sensitive and accurate analysis of the cases of the Reformation that stands as a valid and sometimes unsettling challenge to the presuppositions of Protestants and Catholics alike. This valuable resource is a powerful summary of the issues that led to the Reformation and their implications today. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Dr. Brennan Purcell. We're looking at Wisdom, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Brennan, I'm going to read verse 2 through 5 again, just in case audience joined us late, and uh, we to discuss those. And, and audience, uh, listen to these words and, and hear the hopelessness, the meaninglessness that is expressed here. Uh, and, and try to imagine life without meaning, because that's what's expressed here. He says, because we were born by mere chance, And hereafter we shall be as though we had never been, because the breath in our nostrils is smoke, and reason is a spark kindled by the beating of our hearts. What is extinguished, the body will turn to ashes, and the spirit will dissolve like empty air. Our name will be forgotten in time, and no one will remember our works. Our life will pass away like the traces of a cloud, and be scattered like mist that is chased by the rays of the sun and overcome by its heat, for our allotted time is the passing of a shadow, and there is no return from our death, because it's sealed up, and no one turns back. So, Brendan, you you would say that there was a time in your life when that's the way you felt. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that, yeah, and I'm not going to forget it. If I forget it, then I'm doing a disservice to my own history, and then I yeah. won't be able to understand those of my students that deal with the same sense of hopelessness. Um, so it's important to remember that. But boy, I'm glad it's over. Brendan, you mentioned that your book is getting published by Sophia Prest, founded by John Barger. And I've had John Barger on the program, on the uh-huh. Journey Home a couple of times, and know his story. He was there also. Ah, I didn't know. He was just like this. Uh-huh. And yep. it was philosophy of anything that brought him back towards mm-hmm. um, his faith in Christ. Yes. Um, actually, his journey was, you know, atheism to philosophy to the church to Jesus Christ. Because there you go. So he went from uh, from pagan to Greek to Roman, yeah. so to speak, right? <laughs> exactly. 
And I'm wondering, as you look at those passages, I'm, I'm yes. trying to imagine if a person is caught in this. Um, yeah, Marcus, this is relevant. Look at, look yeah. at um, verses 2 and 3. Here's biology. Here's strict biological Yep. With materialist metaphysics, which means that you that nothing exists outside of the material things that can be observed by science. Because we've been born by mere chance, right? It's just a total accident how you get born um, and how you come about. And hereafter, we will uh, we shall be as though we had never been. It's just total material. It's an association of atoms, and then that you disassociate because the breath in our nostrils is smoke. Breath is not tied to God, right? Yeah. It's, just, it's just gas. Reason is a spark kindled by the beating in our hearts. Reason is just a function of bodily movement. It's just the brain biochemistry. There's nothing spiritual about it. When it is extinguished, the body will turn to ashes. That, all right, all you are is a body. Those bunches of carbon-based, you're just a carbon-based organism, and the spirit will dissolve like empty air. Of course, and back in those days, the first century BC, they didn't really have a concept of vacuum, but even to say empty air, mm-hmm. the air itself is nothing. So this to me is, is, is biology. The next part is history. Well, how do you get out of that? If, you know, how do you reach someone that's convinced in 2 and 3, chapter, verse 2 and 3, mm-hmm. um, which I'm, you're saying you were, Mm -hmm. You know, we're talking about them to believe in something they can't sense all of a sudden. Well, they can't sense it with the senses, but there's this thing called the human heart. And uh, there's this thing called the soul. Oh, my goodness, there's all sorts of ways to reach people. And I can't say there is a way. It would depend on the person. And, and, uh, oh, yeah. (sighs) I mean, there's a wonderful line. I read it in a book. I forget the title, but it's by this wonderful um, Irish philosopher and um, and really spiritual writer called John Donahue. Have you heard mm-hmm. the lines? Like people often say that that we have a soul inside the body, in my soul and my body. This is actually the other way around. This is you're a soul with a body, yeah. And the soul extends beyond things like this. Um, if 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 past if verses two and three biology, if that's all there is, what about mystery? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what about miracle? What about marvelous coincidence? What about love? Is love, thing, is love nothing but a chemical? And if it is, why do we have these moments that chemicals can't reproduce? And then people will say, oh, yeah, but in time, the biochemical industry will figure it out, and there'll be a love drug. It's like, <laughs> no, no. But anyway, yeah, good question, how to, how to reach someone. Well, uh, just assure them there's more. There's more than this. Yeah, it's, uh, I know John Barger, as I mentioned, he, the, the first step for him in the direction of realizing that there's truth mm-hmm. was the very important mathematical equation 2 plus 2 equals 4. Well, there you go. <laughs> Be- because he realized that is not mere opinion. That's right. not relativity. Yeah, right. It's true. Yeah. And the fact that there's something true just floored him. Right. You know, and so he began beyond that to realize, wait, there is something lasting and true here that isn't just, you know, different yesterday and different tomorrow and true today. No, two plus two is always four, no matter where you are, where you've been, where you're going to go. And so there's something that's very concrete. That was the beginning of somehow getting to reach people to see that there's more than this mere chance. Um, And... Uh, I mean, the, uh, I was even thinking that to some extent, Brandon, for some people, um, w- without thinking deeply about it, they might like to move in the direction of what this author is saying, because let's say they've made a mess of their lives. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, their lives are, yep. they've made a mess of it. They've got too many conflicts, uh, too many mm-hmm. responsibilities. They're worried about not just the immediate future, but the eternal future. This is an easy way out. It's an easy way out. Just deny it. Doesn't mean anything. It's short. Leave me alone. It'll be over. 
Right. Like, but what you're saying about reason, 2 plus 2 equals 4, you're right. The human, the human reason can tap us something into what is true. This passage, though, is an attack, or just pointing out people who use that reason unsoundly. <laughs> they, look at, they, look, they look at phenomenon, they look at, real, they look at uh, science, they look at evidence, and yet they reason unsoundly. They make conclusions that, 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 are, that are not true and lead to nothing good. Let's um, let's move to the, given this background, this assumption about life, there's no uh-huh. God, there's no meaning, there's no future. Uh-huh. Um, so therefore, how do we live? Now, oh, oh Marcus, can, can we just take, yes. take one minute to look at verse 4 and 5? Yes, so okay, so I'm sorry. 3 is about biology. So, okay. 4 and 5 is about history. Ah, okay. It's the attitude towards history. Our name will be forgotten in time. No one will remember me. <laughs> life will pass away like traces of a cloud, scattered by mist, things like that. It's... It is true. I mean, even in our day and age with computers and whatever, um, in several centuries or a couple millennia, it's over. We will be forgotten. The living don't remember all the dead. That's just one of these attitudes from history. There are very few members of the dead that that are actually remembered um, by the living. But still, that's not a reason for saying that life has no meaning. Right, so we get biology, we get history, and now verse 6 is just what you wanted to get to. Well, now you've opened up the history question, which is my favorite question. Okay, Um, of course. Because I'm working on a biography of a man that lived 200 years ago, and I'm limited by letters that remain Mm -hmm. that he wrote to others, letters that others wrote to one another about him, Uh but I don't know his soul. In other no, words, I, I don't can't. know what he thought. No. And it's, it's interesting when you look back the way we do remember, and we are remembering yeah. people from history, there's a certain limit. So our life is what speaks for us. Yes. Yes. It's interesting. Uh, before my grandmother on my father's side passed away, she had been a school teacher. She grew up on a farm in Iowa and uh, Illinois. And... Uh, she was, this was in the early teens of the 20th century, and she went to a teacher's college, and she wanted to become a teacher, and she got on a train and went out to California, kind of all by herself, little Illinois farm girl, and uh, and um, towards the end of her life, she had a bunch of diaries, and, and it was in the last couple of years of her life, I went over to visit her one day, and she said, you know what I did? I burned my diaries. I said, what? <laughs> you know, here I'm studying for history. I said, how could you, Grandma? How could you? She said, Brennan, I only want people to, re- I want the people to remember me who know me. <laughs> My writings aren't me, and I don't want people to get the wrong idea about me through my flawed writings. So even then, <laughs> and, and I kind of understand what, what she, yeah. that ties into what you were saying. We can never really know these people who leave writings. But uh, yeah. not as people, but but uh, still, you know, it, when we go, we go, and the only people who can really say that they know know us aren't people who really read our books, but people who were close to our hearts. Right. In in the case that I'm working on, I've got most of the remaining letters that I have about the character I'm writing mm-hmm. didn't like him. So I've got their perspective on yeah. things, and I've got the character I'm the, the life of the person. In the way he's answering them in his mails, I wish I had his diary. Yeah. So, if we could assume that it was in a private moment and he's really speaking to God or letting it down without thinking someone's going to read this, mm-hmm. I can know how he thought. But, mm-hmm. but even that can be uncertain. It really, in the end, is is what does our life say? Mm-hmm. Not just what we say, but how we live our life. Exactly. And that's what, in essence, this passage now addresses. Verses six on, where you have huh, right. th- their theory on what they understand about life, right. what they're going to be in history, and so therefore this is the the uh, you know what they're going to leave behind mm-hmm. as, a, as an external expression. So talk us through that, if you would, Brennan. All right. So here's verse six. So in in the preceding verses, they say, "Hey, look at biology. It's just short. History. Everyone gets forgotten. It's short." And so then they say in six, "Come, therefore." Let us enjoy the good things that exist and make use of the creation to the full as in youth. Let's just be stuck on youth, right? And, and let's see no value in the aging process. 
Let us take our fill of costly wine and perfumes, wine, women, and song, right? Let no flower of the spring pass us by. That's a good line. Um, just, it, it's, it's not just carpe diem. This is, this is, uh, this is indulgence in sensuality. It's, it's, it's very, it's, um, it's couched language, but there, it's there. Let us crown ourselves with rosebuds before they wither. Now, it's one thing to enjoy, um, nature, and everyone should enjoy the rosebuds before they wither, but this passage might have other meanings. Let none of us fail to share in our, uh, to share in our revelry. Everywhere let us leave signs of enjoyment. The, the, does this, is this like the trash? <laughs> the people used and abused? Um, um, because this is our portion. This is our lot. You know, the happy-go-lucky type would say, no, 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 you're putting a bad spin on it. Just have Fun, live your life with abandon, and don't think twice about it. I was going to say, we, yes. just pause a second, that that last part of verse 9, or the middle part, everywhere, let us leave signs of enjoyment. It's, uh, I even read into their, um, it's their way of kind of, quote, evangelizing. In other words, yes. oh, that too. giving the impression to the world that we figured it out. This is really yeah. what life is about. Oh, you're right. That's right. Make sure the party's as big and as loud as possible, right? Get, get more people on that bandwagon. It's also drawing a picture of, I, I envision in my mind, maybe it, was the, maybe it was the Dead Poet Society or one of the movies where, it, you know, the people would dress up. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of the, of the actor in the, in the great saga where you know, you're wearing a white robe with the flowers around your head. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this image of, of, of free spirit. And that's what he's describing here. No, no responsible mm-hmm. to anyone or for anything. Exactly. And, okay. and, and so that might, that's seductive, isn't it? Especially to young people and to people just, just to be happy-go-lucky and have fun. I'm okay, you're okay, don't worry about that. But then there's a price to pay for enjoyment, and that's verse 10. Let us oppress the righteous poor man. Hmm. What? Hello? I thought we were just parting. This is all part of this, come, therefore, let us enjoy good things. Let us oppress the righteous poor man. Let us use the poor as we can. Let us not spare the widow. She can suffer on our behalf, too. Nor regard the gray hairs of the aged. That's a wonderful line that says, youth culture. Don't grow up. Don't trust anyone over 30. All that kind of thing. And just use people as they come. And then then it really gets nasty and very revealing with verse 11. Might be our law of right, for what is weak proves itself to be useless. And this this. This is this wonderful, timeless line. That's another temptation that just says, mm-hmm. "Is right then the right of the strong?" Um, this this kind of wonderful existence of of whooping it up and having a great time. At whose cost? Um, does it then make no difference how many people get used and abused through this? Um, let our might be our law of right, and what is weak proves itself to be useless. Is then use, utilitarianism, is then use the only thing that counts? And, and are the weak without any significance or meaning or dignity? It leads yeah. to that conclusion. Verse 10 almost reminds me of the initiation. Um, you're, you've tempted people in through the philosophy of verses 1 through 5. You've proclaimed from your soapbox, this is really what life is all about. Yes. And then those who have joined you, yes. verse 6 through 9, this is the way we're going to live. Yes. And someone says, all right, I want to be a part of this. And uh-huh. you say in verse 10, but here's what you need to do to prove that you uh-huh. truly sold out to this idea. Right. Which is in verse 10 then, and let me read that again to the audience, let us Oppress the righteous poor man, let us not spare the widow, nor regard the gray hairs of the aged. In other words, you really have to break yourself off from the inner morality of your conscience by stepping on the weakest. That's how you prove that you've really sold yourself out to this philosophy. Yeah, this, this is the gospel of ruthlessness. Now, is this what drove the French Revolution? Is this what drove the French Revolution? Part of it, sure. Oh my 
Oh yeah, oh, and in the heady days of, of uh, right in the summer of 1789, there's uh, there were all these moments, these wild moments where crowds broke into palaces. I mean, I was just I was just this summer when I was with my family in Germany. My wife and I got in the car and we drove over the Rhine to see Strasbourg, and we visited the Cardinal Bishop's Palace. That's right near the um, um, the cathedral, and we were in the rooms, and there was there was uh, a display about what the revolutionaries did when they came. They burst into the cardinal bishop's palace, and he was also one of the main administrators of the city. What did they smash up? His altar mm-hmm. and the tabernacle of his private chapel. Yeah, they they went right after God. Okay, it was one thing to turn him out of his palace and say you can't have that anymore. We're taking it away. It's another thing to destroy the sacredness to wipe it out um oh oh yes there's there was a lot of this in the french revolution and really in all such sad episodes throughout history oh yeah and to a sense verse 10 the revolutionaries would have said no 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 we were fighting for the rights of the poor man for the widow for the gray-haired but yet if anyone stood in their way from what they believed they wanted to accomplish those people were sent to the guillotine or whatever it was that they used well, to Well, that's very interesting. We should remind ourselves. Um, the French Revolution wasn't socialist, communist. They didn't talk about the poor much. Didn't talk about widows much. Robespierre and all the rest, he talked about virtue. <laughs> establishing a republic of virtue. He's the one who said, um, all the prostitutes, chop their heads off. Mm-hmm. These are people who undermine virtue. Um, they have no value. Let's get rid of them. Um, we must make man anew. That's why they set up a new calendar with new time, new everything. said, reason will make man new. And if this state, if you will not comply with this reasonable state, you can't live. And it's interesting, at the time, it was the Pope at the time that released an encyclical warning the world about this danger of, of uh, uh, you know, uncontrolled freedom. Exactly. Which would be... Yes. Driven by this philosophy, this kind of philosophy, uh, if, if there's a freedom to understand life in this way, then the poor, the widows, and the aged, who are the ones that Jesus always said as the model for a, 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 you know, a sign of our love for one another, will take care of the poor and the yeah. widows. That is the key at the center, those who are in prison, you know, taking care of those that can't take care of themselves. Yeah. Um, and let, let and let our might be our law of right. Now, again, you're a historian, so you know the. I even remember almost in the Robin Hood movies, or uh, you know, what's the movie about uh, William Wallace? I mean, it seemed that one of the, the the philosophies running through that whole era was that might was somehow an expression of what was right. Right, isn't that one of the the great temptations that the devil gives to Jesus in the desert? Has a, yeah. Look, look at the world. I'll give you power over all of it. Or he says something, something to that effect. Um, it's it's in Homer everywhere that the strong must rule of the weak. It's in Hesiod. There's this, um, you know, what century is he like? I think sixth or seventh century B.C. Greek Greek writer. Um, there's this wonderful scene. He tells a myth about how an eagle. And then catches a dove, or a hawk catches a dove, something like that, and it's holding him in, the, in his claws, and the dove is squawking, saying, "Let me go! I have a dove. You let me go." And the eagle says, "Shut up! You've got to realize that you're in my claws, and what the strong say goes. And it is my job to do with you what I want, and it is your job to deal with it. And that's—it's a temptation, and it's everywhere. It's yeah. Um, why shouldn't? we do things to people, whether born or unborn, as long as we have the technology and the power to do it. Yeah, it's this idea that the fact that we have this power yes. carries with it the naughtness. Yeah. Uh, like, having power is, having, is, is, is the ability to make other things useful to you. Political correctness just means political usefulness, hmm. right? That's all it really means. Uh, that's another subject, but you're right. This business of of might, uh, might um, making for right, that's that is is a primary temptation of mankind all throughout history. And here it is summed up for us. You know, Marcus, there's nothing new under the sun. I know, I know. I, I, I've found myself making the mistake of saying that it was Voltaire and those that started the big problem in the Enlightenment. Well, I mean, their ideas are here. Yes. 
That's exactly right. Um, but, you know, um, we, we shouldn't um, totally um, um, uh, pan the French Revolution and, and the Enlightenment. And you can see their, their positive elements, and you see what they're trying to do. And you can see they have just outrage at some of the abuses that were going on. But it's the excesses. It's the, the conclusions. It's the, the, the nihilistic um, answers to great questions that, that, that are... That, call to mind this, the great swollen pride of the human being that denies his creator and then it leads to error and then what happens in such moments the, the powerful trample the weak and the lowly um, in the French Revolution it's, it's shocking how many textbooks don't mention the uprising of the Vendée where the people in the Vendée in the western part of France said we are tired of you sacking our churches and, and, and locking up and executing our priests leave us alone. Um, they started out as conscientious objectors. They said they would not serve in the army of the new, but then it, it turned to violence, and a quarter million were, people were killed. And the, the Revolutionary Republic um, uh, responded with, with a horrific, horrific violence. It's, it's appalling, and it's often yeah. forgotten. And of course, as you know, uh, Brennan, we, we really can't point fingers at the French and the French Revolution because in our own country here we've got the same stuff going on to this day. Um, yeah. And uh, even yes. John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, who himself wasn't known for his, uh, his orthodox faith, both said that unless the people uh, have a faith, a religion and morality, this democracy will never survive. Yes. And, and they knew that to be true. Yes. And we're seeing the result today. That's true. That's true. It's, it's always a challenge, and, and it's, it's something that humanity deals with, and it goes sweeping over history, not always like, like waves or like storms, but it, it happens, and it, my goodness, it makes the story interesting. Well, we're going to take another break. When we come back, Brent, I want to remind the audience that this small section of wisdom isn't the final answer. It's really taken out of the bigger context of the Book of Wisdom, particularly it, uh, the rest of chapter 2 goes on to describe even more about what these unrighteous men believe and say and what they're called to do. But verse 3, chapter 3, excuse me, starts to say the other side. We come back. Let's, mm-hmm. let's leave the, the, the program with some, some hopeful comments. All right, Brennan? Sounds excellent. If you're listening to Deep in Scripture, this is your host, Marcus Grodi. I'm joined today by Dr. Brennan Purcell. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. The Coming Home Network International is a non-profit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. The Coming Home Network International and Marcus Grodi invite you to join us for our 8th Annual Deep in History Conference coming this fall to Columbus, Ohio. This year, our focus will be on the authenticity of the sacred scriptures as we ask, How firm is your foundation? Join us the weekend of October 22nd as we bring together another exciting list of guest speakers. For more information, go to deepinhistory.com or call us at 800 664 5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined by Dr. Brennan Purcell. Uh, Brennan, the chapter 3 of Wisdom, this one, tell the audience, we don't obviously have enough time to go through the whole thing, but particularly verses 1 through 9, mm-hmm. give the other side. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me read for the audience verse 1 and verse 9, and then go ahead and comment on, on what's the other side of the story, because the writer says, but the souls of the righteous are in the hand of God, and no torment will ever touch them. Verse 9, those who trust in him will understand truth, and the faithful will abide with him in love 
because grace and mercy are upon his elect and he watches over his holy ones. Brennan. Thank heaven. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, yep. this is the promise. That this is, this is the reward. This is what it's all about. Uh, we can't establish heaven on earth. We can't make utopia. No governmental system or bureaucracy or anything can assure justice. That just comes from God. That's, yeah. So all we can do is have faith in him and live accordingly, and, and it's, it's passages like this that should give us hope in that, in consolation, and to say, yeah, okay, this is, it, you, you nod your head at, 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 at history and, and, and at the, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune in life, you know, from Hamlet, but, uh, but then you, you soldier on knowing that um, righteousness wins in the end. Yeah, the, uh, that's why I love wisdom, be, this book of wisdom, because in many ways its theology is closer to the New Testament than the Old. Yes. You're seeing the idea that, particularly verse 9, grace and mercy are upon his elect. Mm-hmm. Um, verse 2, in the eyes of the foolish, they seem to have died. Mm-hmm. And their departure mm-hmm. was thought to be an affliction. Mm-hmm. And they're going from us to be their destruction, but they are at peace. Uh, you, you can only see that by faith. Mm-hmm. Those that don't have faith just see as, as was described earlier. But, yeah. but faith is able to see that no, those that have left us in our life are in a better place there with the Lord and they're in peace because of His grace and mercy. Yeah. Can you get that hopeful sign out of teaching history? Um, I try to. That's the problem. That's the <laughs> challenge. Is that history is so often the tale of the powerful and just one war after another. Yeah. And if if not taught, look away from the simple people. If you only look to the powerful, to the tramplers, to the rising, falling empires, um, then you come up with no answer because ultimately there is no mechanism in history. There is no mathematical formula but his history thank goodness has has changed its focus away from the overmighty and more towards the simple people and you can look at their cultures and what they held what they treasured and how they how they raised children and how they made life for themselves and and how they how they worshiped and the beauty that they were able to create with simple means of tremendous beauties in some cases oh yeah you can get this message in history well Brennan thanks you for joining us today you're very welcome. I Mark. appreciate it, and uh, God bless you in your teaching and your writing. Thank you. And uh, your insight, and I think, uh, again, a message to the audience. T- to me, we didn't have time to talk about it, but in, in other reasons, that this, this, uh, these words from wisdom, to me, remind me of the problem of a, kind of a sola scriptura perspective. You just take the Bible and interpret it for yourselves. You can end up with all different kinds of conclusions. Thankfully, we have the church that helps us understand both that wisdom should be in our Bibles, but on top of that, what's being said there is balanced by the Spirit-led teaching of the church to make sure we get it correct and, and not end up just saying, I don't like what I see going on, I'm going to figure it out for myself. And that's what's ended up with all those wild ideas that have taken people away from the center of the truth. So thank you, Brennan. God thank bless you, Marcus. Thank you for your ministry. And all of you, thank you for joining us. God bless you. See you soon.